You're listening to the newest podcast from Radii China. Here we're going to talk to guests of different backgrounds from various industries, each with their own story, in the hope of challenging some of our own perspectives by hearing things from another angle. I'm Wes Chen, and you're listening to China from All Angles. that the way that society saw Asians in music was that we didn't quite fit the mold, like you said. When we had our first headline show, I remember James tells the story well, where the bouncers didn't even think we were on the bill. They're like, oh, you can't wear a hat. Pull up your pants. Like, we're like, uh, that's our name. We're, we're about to headline. Music is the one medium where people only hear you. They don't see you in the beginning. So they have no judgments other than, you know, does the music work? At the time, people were saying, hey, if you're an Asian, and you make a song, you're an Asian rapper, you're an Asian artist. But we're growing up in America. Why can't we just be artists? Well, I just wanted to be seen as an L.A. person because I, you know, was born and raised here. And so as time went by, there was a sense of pride about Asia. That's the big thing about Chinese artists, right? Like they could give a damn about how big they are in America. They could give a damn about how many streams they have on Spotify because they're going to make a good amount of money and be able to do, you know, a large amount of touring in China alone. They don't need to, They don't even need the rest of the world. How can we take all of our amazing experiences, relationships and what we know in L.A. and expand that to become our world and our business in Asia and then combine the two. And it almost became like our superpower and our confidence. So now the world, it feels so much better and, and our dreams can feel so much bigger. And it, it, it's a reality. China from All Angles is brought to you by East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled services for individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank. Bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, bridging dreams. For more info, visit eastwestbank.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, I'm here today with Kev Nish and James Rowe, members of Far East Movement and founders of Transparent Arts. For those that don't know, Far East Movement is one of the earliest Asian American hip hop groups and the first Asian American group to earn the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. 2010 with the hit Like a G6 and in 2016 moved into artist management with their own company Transparent Arts. Welcome Kev, welcome James. Hey, what's up man? Good what to up, talk to you. Up, you guys uh formed as a group in the early 2000s and now 20 years later you guys got your own label Transparent Arts. I wanted to know what is the biggest difference do you guys see with working with this new generation of artists? versus 20 years ago when you guys were the new artists coming up? Hmm. That's a great question. James, you want to lead? Um, well, first of all, you going to date us like that? I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just kill I'll just play. Um, I would say that uh, like the biggest difference would be like um, just how like more like self-aware and like uh and educated a lot of these kids are i I won't say all of them because like you know uh you know some of them are just there's so many different varying spectrum of where they are in their journey but like some of these guys that we work with right now like their like mental maturity their approach to you know their careers at like you know the ages of like their mid-20s or whatever is definitely 
uh, leaps and bounds more than where we were at. I mean, obviously it was like, it had a lot to do with access and things of that sort, but I'm definitely very impressed working with a lot of these guys and just, you know, seeing how savvy they are to, to, uh, to the resources that are around them. Yeah, I agree. I think to add to what James was saying, there's more of an equal playing field than there used to be as far as like, we we grew up in a very formulaic system of like major labels were the indicators of success and were the gateway to success. But nowadays you're seeing so much more organic growth artists that are just making music from their home and going straight to the billboard charts. So that's really exciting to see. And I think for the next generation, they're they're not building on a lot of maybe the cultural limitations that we had felt. So that that's pretty much a, a great thing to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you guys more on uh, what James said. I feel like not even just kids who are making music, but like kids in general these days, I feel like are much more mature than we were back at that age. I don't know if that happens every generation, but I definitely feel that way as well. I also feel like the real breakout album for you guys was Animal in 2008. And another question that I wanted to ask you guys was, as an Asian American group who is creating music that is a genre that's considered to be black culture in the U.S. entertainment industry, which at that time I feel like was difficult for any Asian face, especially male Asian faces, to break through. What would you guys say were some of the biggest challenges for you guys and what were the, some of the keys to success for you guys to, to break out through those challenges? Hmm. Okay, I'll kind of kick it off with um, it wasn't a cultural norm, like you said, for Asian Americans to be in hip hop. And so for us, I think when it came to the idea of handing something we recorded in our basement or in James's garage to a record exec, um, you kind of came in like, you know, it it was a bit of an underdog, bit of a do we belong? And that insecurity um, definitely made it tough through the journey, but it wasn't necessarily an insecurity too. I think that the way that society saw Asians in music was that we didn't quite fit the mold, like you said. When we had our first headline show, I remember James tells the story well, where the bouncers didn't even think we were on the bill. They're like, oh, you can't wear a hat, pull up your pants. Like, we're like, uh, that's our name, We're, we're about to headline. And so you got a lot of that in every step of our journey, which, which definitely made it tough, you know, where I think like this today's um, generation kind of doesn't have to go through that, which is great. But I don't know, James, any, anything else to add? <laughs> I would say like uh, one thing, I mean, that, that, was, that was legit, like definitely. I, I, I love that story because it, it, it felt so good afterwards when they're like, no, 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 they can wear their hats yeah. <laughs> or their headliners. But um, I would say another, another thing, just, and this has nothing to do with like, you know, our ethnicity or anything, it's just like the technological differences, man. Like, and this is, of course, you know, now that you've said 20 years, I'm just going to let it all off the bat. <laughs> man, when we started, bro, like we, we I, I used to steal my dad's A-track and like figure out, you know, how to record on that joint. Or like Kev would have his Cubase and like, you know, like a cracked version of Cubase and like, you know, figure out how to edit and compress vocals and all that kind of stuff on there, you know. And then like just even figure out our outlets, right? Like we, bathed, we basically had like sound click during that time and, you know, and like trying to, you know, hit up on forums and stuff but even before that actually we were like passing out flyers you know and just and and basically only getting around like local los angeles like how are we ever going to get outside of that bubble you know and these days like you just you know 
click of a mouse and like you're like or you know you're 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 talking to somebody in germany you got fan bases in you know singapore like it's 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 just so different in that way but being a part of that process that growing process of the internet i think was just so big for us like i remember like kev was a soldier about being on myspace and like we would we'd like literally like add every single person on there and like try to chat with them and you know and just try to get the the word out but that's that's definitely been a huge difference thinking back to that album besides girls on the dance floor i have to say dance like michael jackson one of my personal favorites from that album one of the production crews you guys collabed on that album was the stereotypes so i wanted to talk a little bit about actual stereotypes starting with hip-hop in general because it often has like this negative stereotype of violence or misogyny especially here in china where not all the people here really understand the roots of the culture and especially in the era that you know we grew up in especially in la that was actually really a big part of the rap scene at the time but you guys took an entirely different approach. I was just wondering what influenced you guys to do that. Hmm. I mean, we were, James was a huge hip hop fan. I think we all were, you know, but there was a storytelling element to, to hip hop that we gravitated towards when we were in high school, middle school. And it was that, you know, people were telling the story of our neighborhoods or story of LA and story of where we grew up. And you can identify with that. Um, and even in, in punk music, in rock music, you know, there was just this authenticity of culture. So that that at least as a team, you know, that that's like the that that's what you gravitate towards, even if it's a little bit off offensive or counterculture. That's you know, the kids want to hear what people say you can't listen to. Right. But I think like later on when we started doing that we we were you know our first songs we we started in open mics in political gatherings and in, in just you know conscious areas and uh poetry sessions like anywhere that would give us a microphone we, we would perform or, or rap our songs and our songs were definitely a little bit more movement based per se you know we wanted to talk about the asian american experience and how things can be better but then i think as we started digging into it more and more we started feeling like it was not being heard that whatever we were doing where we felt that there was an injustice or things could get better for our community it felt like people can't relate to that the general population couldn't relate to it so it felt like it was just going on deaf ears so as we started analyzing pop music a little more and thinking like what do we really want as musicians i think you know being heard would be you know getting our music so that everyone can relate and imagine making a song where at the time people were saying, hey, if you're an Asian, you make a song, you're an Asian rapper, you're an Asian artist. But we're growing up in America, why can't we just be artists? Why can't we just be rappers? So we thought pop music might be an interesting perspective, making, you know, what would be the, the biggest statement as Asian Americans? Imagine making a song where people heard it and actually didn't think about race, actually didn't think, oh, that's a Chinese rapper, that's a Korean rapper. And I think that that kind of slowly shifted our process on, on, on approach to music. And we just slowly gravitated towards pop. Yeah, that's actually something that I was about to touch on also, which is being labeled as the Asian rap group. And whether that was something that you guys always wanted to shake off or is that something you embraced or did it go through different times where you embraced it and different times where, where you didn't want to be labeled in that way? 
Definitely in the beginning, we thought that it would not be a good thing for that to be our calling card. So we actually called ourselves MCs Anonymous so that people would judge us for our music and not for our faces. But down the line, um, the guys actually, and I, I, I disagreed with them at the time, but the rest of the guys wanted to go with the name Far East Movement to just basically be able to represent and for people to know exactly what we're about from the beginning. Little did we know that down the line, people still didn't get it. <laughs> and that's the thing about music, right? Like music is the one medium where people only hear you. They don't see you in the beginning. So they have no judgments other than, you know, does the music work? Does it fit? But when we started doing TV shows, that's when we started seeing that people, you know, were starting to attach the, the face to the song. And, you know, sometimes that was good. And sometimes people would respond on Twitter and be like, oh my God, that's why they're the Far East movement. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it's definitely... It's 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 as good and as bad, but at the same time, like right now, the way that kids, you know, people just approach us about our name, you know, with that sense of pride, I mean, that's 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 just so fulfilling, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, I also feel like that's also a big difference between the way people consume music now versus how we consumed music in you know the late '90s, early 2000s. It's become more and more visual, and less and less just purely audio. There's few artists now where you can just hear, like you said, you hear the music before you even know what they look like. Nowadays, you're consuming it visually and audio and, and through audio at the same time. That's definitely, I think, a, a big difference between now and then. But um, I wanted to touch on when you guys really, really blew up with like a G6. It goes double platinum in 2010. And it's not just a hit in America. It's like a global hit. I was already in China at that time. I know for a fact it was just playing everywhere, every night. And to quote the late B.I.G., did you ever think hip-hop would take it this far? Never. <laughs> Never, ever, ever. Yeah, I think uh, we started literally in James's garage. And we uh, even when we were making music, it was all out of closets and computers, mics plugged into the back of computers. We made G6 like that. And we made the song, you know, we always thought that to get on the billboard charts and to get a song that big, you know, you had to be in a million dollar studio with the top uh, mixing engineers and producers. And the way we were making music was just so do it yourself. The way we were promoting uh, was so do it yourself online that nah, there's, I don't know, at least my perspective, it was a dream, but you know, I think we were so step by step that when it happened, definitely didn't even feel real. The funniest part about that is the fact that it was that song of all the songs. We gave that song away out for free for like two and a half years. I remember our, uh, our A&R was trying to convince us that that record was the one because we had gone through so many iterations of that record. It was definitely not the one that we thought was gonna be the one, you know? And he was like, dude, if you guys put this out and it does well, I'm gonna drive a tractor down what is it what was it like Times square you know and like just like doing whatever he could to convince us and, and like i mean he was right he never drove the tractor though but he was right about the record <laughs> yeah that's the next question i was going to ask you guys was like when you were making that album if you knew that g6 was going to be a hit but the a and r was, was on top of it huh yeah verman verman definitely loved the record he was always right. like yeah, yeah you're right when you guys going to finish that record um from the baseline, you know, he has a he had 
a very DJ radio ear. So when he hears, you know, a simple four note minimal track that just does all the work, I think he just knew. So yeah, much props to Verman. Word, word. At this point, you guys have been working with artists like Bruno Mars to Justin Bieber, Snoop, David Guetta, Will I Am. But later on, you guys started working with more K pop acts like EXO, Girls Gen. Was the intention to put some of these international artists on the map to US audiences? Or were you guys as a group trying to hit deeper in those international markets? I think a little bit of both. I, I think that there was this sense of we were, we wanted to be American because we are LA, right? We are LA. And so there was always this this um, mentality that that maybe sometimes people were categorizing us as K-pop or as Asian music and not just like West Coast electronic pop, whatever we kind of wanted to be. So there was almost that chip on our shoulder for a little bit. And, you know, I was a huge victim to that of like, you know, I just wanted to be seen as an L.A. person because I, you know, was born and raised here. And so as time went by, there was a sense of pride about Asia. Our our first trips to Asia were as artists. You know, we were seeing countries we've never seen and experiencing cultures. Our first times to China really just opened up our eyes and, and, and showed us this different culture that we were so proud of, you know, to, to walk through the streets and be like, wow, we are the majority here. Everybody looks like us. Like, this is such an amazing feeling. These cities are beautiful. And it, we came back to LA thinking, hmm, like we're really open to new cultures. Let's try exploring that within our music. Maybe something that we were so LA centric, like let's go to China again, let's go to Korea, let's meet these artists, let's see if we can weave that into our identity. And that's kind of what inspired, I think, what the identity album ended up becoming. So does that go for both of you guys that the first time you returned to your motherland was through touring? You guys had never been to Asia as kids or, or before having anything to do with music? No, I think all of us were different. Um, I'd definitely been to uh, Asia many times as a kid uh, with my parents. Um, but I know like guys like Jay, that was like his first time. It was hilarious, man, because like that he hadn't, uh, he was still a Korean citizen at the time that when we first, uh, you know, started doing our traveling. And as a lot of people know, you have to go to the military if you're a Korean citizen. And, um, you know, he got like an exemption basically in order for uh, him to get through um but a lot of the uh the the, the people at the airport still wanted to uh, mess with them a little bit so like they make us go from like this gate all the way over to that gate all the way over to that gate and like you know so we definitely got got it, it was interesting it was uh um for for him i remember too like it like even like he didn't even tell his parents that he was gonna be uh going to asia or doing music or anything and they found out by watching him on korean television so it's all it, it's yeah it's different for us wasn't it like uh no that was jay too that was like his first time on an airplane that wasn't you right kev no no that wasn't me yeah yeah it was, it was his first time on an airplane yeah i was like flying to asia or something like that straight out of a movie but he came from asia though right well i mean you know when you i mean when you're a child you don't remember that oh right speaking of korea especially recently K-pop has, like, really taken off. Taken off in a way that I would never have expected. BTS and Blackpink are, like, household names now everywhere. And 
this still kind of blows my mind. I always thought that language and certain Western stereotypes would have been like too big of an obstacle for a completely foreign Asian act to reach that kind of success in America. I mean, I'm obviously wrong with, with those uh, pre-assumptions, but I wanted to know what you guys think are some of the reasons behind you know, this more recent phenomenon. Timing, I think cultural waves, I think YouTube, it was, it was slow and steady, but YouTube was a huge part of at least the Western society catching on to new cultures. I think it started with Latin. And, you know, when kids have access, they want to find things that are, are hard to find, whether it's anime and all these waves, right? I think there was, there was the, the rise of Netflix and then a lot of Asian content on there, specifically anime. Anime started to become kind of that seep into U.S. culture. And, and I'd say Asian culture was kind of on the, the hot seat. And people, I think, were looking for something more in, in pop, you know, after the kind of like the Lady Gaga and, and Psy kind of wave, hip hop started to become big. And so people were looking for pop and other, and other cultures. K-pop was, was, was just as glossy and, and really well done, artfully done and, and easily accessible on YouTube. So, you know, I think that started to become a wave. Girls' Generation, uh, Big Bang were really catching a wave. But at the same time, also, we're so busy in Asia, they weren't always coming to the States. So there was a lot of companies that were sending their acts, one being like big hit. And, and so, you know, you'd see BTS at early K-Cons and all these early events just kind of really kind of riding that wave to the point where there was so much, the fandoms were so ready by the think of time to hit like the Billboard Music Awards. It was some award show on TV. I remember American executives talk about this moment all the time. They were like, we couldn't believe how loud we were there in the crowd. Couldn't believe how loud all the kids in this theater were screaming over this act we've never heard. And it just it opened up that moment on TV kind of opened up everybody's eyes. And then the wave just kept coming. So I don't know. That's it's probably a lot to do with timing and and the uh, equalizer being YouTube. It's still mind blowing to me. Like I, I, man, if you if you would ask me like five years ago, like you know, like that you know this Korean pop band is gonna be basically bigger than the Beatles, and be able to do four sold out nights in our football stadium, like I would have laughed at you, you know, like it, like it, that a that a, that a uh, a movie about you know crazy rich Asians <laughs> would be number one for like weeks. Like I would have, I would there would have been like no way, you know. And even like these, like you know, not BTS type groups like ATs or Straight Kids or any of these other kids like selling out. It's it's crazy, it's crazy. But yeah, definitely you know the utilization of uh, of the internet, you know, people being able to rally around, like knowing that they had similar interests to all of it, you know. But still, man, like even these days, like we work with these guys now, and like you know. Uh, like Kev's been, you know, deeper in the in in the pocket for longer, but it's it's like a it's like a whole it's like a whole different galaxy of uh, of of of, um, of music, man, of of just entertainment as a whole. Yeah, I'm pretty curious about the fans in the U.S. of these K-pop groups, especially the more international sectors of these fan groups. Are they all very young or or does the age spectrum also 
Nah, man. It's crazy, dog. I went to the BTS show this year, um, you know, and I, I took a second to just turn around and just look at everybody. First of all, like, the ticket prices are, like, you know, average, like, 100-something dollars. So, not, like, it's not easy access for children. But, you, you know, I, I, I expected to see a bunch of kids, you know, with their parents. But it was a lot of, like, you know, like, late 20s, early 30s, like, Latina, white women, you know, like, a lot of women, but, like, just, like, all ages, shapes, sizes, colors, all there, you know, for these guys who can barely speak English. And, like, it's just... It's amazing, man. It's amazing. Do they know the lyrics? Can they? Do they sing along? Yeah. Do they know the lyrics? Hell yeah, all of them, all of them, bro. They have better. They have. They have better enunciation than I do. <laughs> man, that's crazy. That is. Uh, I mean, I haven't been back to witness it myself. You know, I've just been following online. But yeah, I. It, it still. It, it blows my mind. It definitely blows my mind. Yeah, you'd expect it to be like you know just a bunch of like Asian kids or whatever. Like you go to all these other you know shows too though you know whether that's like a you know like a the Rose show or like a DPR live or whoever these guys like, and it is it's not all Asian kids, man. It is not all Asian kids at all, man. A lot of black kids, you know, Latino kids. It's just this thing has it's definitely you know reached a, a different level of. Of, uh, of voice than, than, what, than what we know. I think, you know, pop music, especially on that level, like K-pop, definitely has this more like an international aspect to it where it can just cross cultures and, and, and boundaries like that. But I think maybe hip-hop usually has a little bit more of a challenge in that respect. Um, hip-hop in China in just these recent years has really become mainstream here, finally become mainstream. And some of these artists out here have gained a little bit of recognition in the West as well, such as the Higher Brothers, obviously with the help of like 88 Rising. Do you guys think it's important for, you know, Chinese hip hop groups or other Asian artists to gain that recognition in English speaking countries? Yeah, definitely would be amazing. I think that there's still a lot of culture building, um, there's still that stigma that, you know, is, is, is hip hop still, you know, you know, an African-American art form per se. And so there's always that, how the Asian artists approach it, how is it authentically, you know, how are they able to shape that art and make it their, you know, something that's uh, culturally unique to China or to Korea? And that's been hip hop, Asian hip hop has not, I'd say, fully crossed over here in the U.S. The idea of it, I don't know. What do you think, James? It's such an issue here right now um, where it almost, I don't know, it's con almost considered cultural appropriation to a certain degree. And that's been a hot topic. Um, so it's, it's a really sensitive, sensitive topic right now. And so, yeah, it hasn't quite bridged yet. And there hasn't been that Asian rap leader at the moment. Yeah, no, you're right. It definitely is. A, <clears throat> it's a tough one. There's certain people who can't, like, who have to really have to think about like what they do as artistic uh, expression because of you know how it's going to be perceived by the public. But at the same time, hip hop is more and more mainstream than it ever has been. Um, the world is warm, and and just music as a whole and the way that it's communicated, um, 
you know, is just opening up. So I, I think that it's a matter of time. Do I think that it's important for, you know, Asian artists to be, you know, accepted in the West? I do. You know, like in the end, like we like music is supposed to be a global language, right? Right? Why would we not want to, you know, if 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 Asian people listen to, you know, like Kev said, like Lady Gaga or, you know, whoever, like why, 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 why can't we think that you know our music can do the same? You know, so you know being able to to go and and, and do performances out here to you know reach this fan base is important. But is it like the almighty stamp? No, you know that's why like that's that big thing about Chinese artists, right? Like they could give a damn about how big they are in America. They could give a damn about how many streams they have on Spotify because they're going to make a good amount of money and be able to do, you know, a large amount of touring in China alone. They don't need to, They don't even need the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I brought up this issue is because, you know, even with China having its own huge market that it is, you know, there are still hip hop artists out here who you know, in their hearts, they want that recognition from the West. And sometimes I feel like it's kind of one-sided. Like, of course, it's good to be recognized worldwide, but you don't really think of U.S. artists as really thinking about their international audiences. Or I could be completely wrong. You know, they could be thinking about, oh, is, is, is the Latin audience going to get into this? Is the Asian audience going to get into this? You know, I could be completely wrong, but from from my standpoint, I feel like it's a little bit one sided when it comes to this. You'd be surprised about that, though. One funny thing is, is like, like back in the day, man, like we used to have like like show bookers and stuff like that from Asia, like asking us to reach out to you know rappers or whoever to try to get them to do shows in Asia, and like these people would not want to take that you know fourteen eighteen hour flight to come out there, you know, and grab the bag no matter how big it was. Uh, but that has changed, man. Like a lot of these uh, artists these days think on a global basis. They understand that they can, you can break anywhere and, and work your way home. You know, like, you know, like you can, you can exchange that yen and turn it into dollar bills. You know, it ain't no thing. Like, you know, you're still going to get that same energy, that same love, no matter where you're at. So um, I do think that, that uh, artists, like American artists are definitely starting to really understand the importance of the international market. Yeah, I agree with James too. It does come down to um, the markets that, that can generate dollars. So when you think of like Korea and how much they've invested in making content global, I think the West did that really early on. You know, you kind of saw that in China in like 20, 2017, 2018, 2019, where um, there was a lot of investment in TV and film and you know the chinese pop stars were seen on global fashion ads so you know whenever wherever there's there's money generated then you know you, you that's where the global around the world is going to be like wow i need to get out there and so you know ho- hopefully we'll see more of that i think that korea kind of set the precedent as far as what global content could look like from asia and you know hopefully we see a lot of other countries push content globally the same way yeah that leads me to another thing that I wanted to bring up, which is how, you know, the China Chinese youth is, you know, more and more considered like the world's largest market nowadays. And in the US, I've recently heard a narrative about how China's influence is in somehow negatively impacting some of the American entertainment industry, whether it be Hollywood, 
whether it be the NBA or even music. I was just wanted to, you know, get you guys' thoughts on that. I mean, are you talking about like the stuff about like that, like, uh, like I've heard podcasts about like how Chinese investment in movies has made uh, like a, a disproportionate impact in the amount of telling of the Chinese story in in Hollywood movies and Hollywood people breaking their backs for uh, their Chinese investors, that whole type of thing. Yeah, yeah, that whole type of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why is that negative? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like if like. Hey man, if 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 there's a way that we can get our stories heard, like, and we can use something as leverage, like, how else and when else are they going to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, does some of it kind of like work like some censorship issues and like make you know Hollywood executives like be scared of talking about certain things because it might piss off the Chinese government? Yeah, you know that's true, but that's you know that's up to them, you know, and like. There's and there's a lot of different ways that you can go and do things. And if they want to go and use that route, then you got to know what you're going to be walking into. Yeah, I agree. It all comes down to where there's, you know, where the moral ground is in every territory. And people that grow up on a farm are going to have a different set of ethics and, and morality than someone that grows up in a major city. And and yeah, it, it really depends. So more recently, you guys have been working with some Chinese artists like Tia Ray, uh, Vava. And I read that. There was supposed to be a follow-up album to your last album that was half Chinese, half English, and was meant to bridge East and West. Is this true? And what happened to this album? Still in the works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Still we, in the uh, works. We've been we've been testing it out, you know, trying out different collaborations and and feels. Chinese is just a different. It's like it's just a lot. It's very complex, you know, like the way that the stories are told, like the. Uh, like the, like the emphasis on lyrics. Sorry, my baby's crying. Uh, you know, um, just uh, it, it's different. Like it's stylistically very different. And it's been also very hard for us because for a while we were going to China a lot. Hanging out over there, being part of the culture. You know, like we met Vava before she even popped off, you know. Um, and that was all. And, and that was a great way for us to just like really organically be a part of it. But, um, you know with COVID and everything, we, we haven't been able to go back in like, you know, three years. So it's been hard for us. We, we haven't been able to make a lot of records since then for that reason. Um, but it's still at the top of our list. Like we're still trying to keep on top of like, um, you know, who's popping off right now, like what TV shows are kind of going. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, and we really do, it's, it, we definitely do want to make that album happen. But for right now, like, you know, we're going to put out Lucy's you know, like there's certain ones that really hit, like, uh, you know, our bamboo record and some of them that, you know, are kind of figuring their their things out. But, yeah, we're definitely it's definitely something that we enjoy doing still. So is it safe to say that Far East Movement and Transparent Arts as a company are both looking to work with more Asia based artists moving forward? Always. Uh, yeah, always. We we are collaborations you know i i think our our the identity of our company has always been continental asia and and bringing everybody together and cross fusing we put out a record at the top of the year with um ozi who's who's a really cool uh taipei you know hip-hop r&b artist with a, a superstar from manila named james reed and a superstar from GOT7 uh, named JB, all on one song. And that's that type of energy has kind of been the DNA of almost like Far East Movement to a certain degree and how our music is. And so 
to to one work with artists on a distribution rec- record label services and management level or even you know s- s- sign them at, you know to different style of deals to collaborating with artists like we really want that synergy and energy across asia yeah all right to wrap up every episode of this podcast i always ask each of the guests how the time they've spent in their motherland whether it be china korea or japan has changed their perspective. So that's where I want to take you guys right now. How how is the time you've spent whether it's as a group, as artists or you know as kids whenever, you know, the first time you went, how how has that experience changed your perspective? You know, going to the motherland, it just helps to reassure you, man. You know, like, you know, your people, your people are just proud of you. You know, your people want to see you do well. Your people see you as you. Over here, of course, like, you know, we're Americans, but the DNA of being American and the immigrant struggle and all that, that's just a part of what life is. So like being different is part of what life is. But when you go when you go to Asia, you know, it's it's different. It's uh there's and, and there's a there's a sense of camaraderie, there's a sense a sense of uh, you know, championing uh us, you know, and really and really just cherishing, you know, the, the the work that we put in. So like I would say that like the even now, the greatest show that we ever did was our first ever, you know, tour in 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 Asia. You know, like when uh, after like the song, you know, after G Six popped, and like every show that we did, whether that was in, you know, Shanghai, Singapore, Seoul, like the ground was shaking. You know, and it was like in every show, like I, I we felt an emotion that, you know, that, you know, just like that that heart, you know, from the people, and uh, and and that's just something that I'll never forget. Nice. Yeah, I, I think the first visits to Asia, at least for me, and you know, seeing like our our group of guys, when we when we went out there, it almost gave us what was the unknown and what was almost insecurity became a point of confidence and strength for us on the business side. It really opened up like how can we take all of our amazing experiences, relationships, and what we know in LA and expand that to become our world and our business in Asia and then combine the two. And it almost became like our superpower and our confidence. So now the world, it feels so much better and, and our dreams can feel so much bigger and it, it, it's a reality. And and so, I don't know, For uh, it also brought us together on another level. Um, I think that that camaraderie and that confidence in, in our dreams and it, it brought us closer as friends. So all those things, at least, for for me, um, yeah, I, I would I would say the visits to Asia really changed my life. All right, thank you guys for taking the time to chop it up with me today. I just wanted to ask if there's anything you want the listeners to be looking out for, or where you want to direct them to, uh, as far as following you guys or checking out Transparent Arts or or some of the artists that you guys are working with. Yeah, uh, I mean Transparent Arts. That's the name of the game. That's been what we've uh, you know been building with Far East Movement for a very long time and where our focus is, you know, basically 99% of the time now. And it's all about bridging that East to West gap. It's all about supporting our Asian American and our Asian brothers and sisters, you know, and trying to impart some of the experiences that we've, we've gone through, um, even whether you want to listen to it or not. Most times they don't. And, and just going with them, you know, and, uh, you know, um, our artists range as, as much as uh, our, our own tastes in music eclectically from like, you know, pop rock to, you know, rap to, you know, side trance, all that. Like one of our main, our, our biggest signings of the year is uh, 
is a pop rock uh, Korean band called uh, The Rose. And um, they're just amazing. Like, uh, I actually wasn't the first to meet them. That was Kev and Kirby and DPD when they saw them at Selling Out the Fonda. And, like, basically, they were telling me, like, the first three rows of women just fainted the moment that these kids started singing. But they are just <laughs> so talented and so blessed to be working with them. Um, but we're, we're all about the future, you know. Um, and, and, and we really want these kids to be successful. Uh, you know, we've also, Kev's working with, you know, a lot of, awesome artists as well uh, that he'll tell you about but you know we want to keep our ear to the future we want to keep growing we want to be a part of this process we want to be a part of asian american history asian history in entertainment as it keeps growing so that's where we're at transparent arts baby yeah nothing more need to be said thank you guys so much big thanks to kev nish and james rowe of far east movement and transparent arts if you like this episode of China From All Angles, do us a favor and hit subscribe. Or share with a friend or leave us a comment and let us know what you think. If you want more content like this, head to RadiiChina.com. And of course, this podcast could not have been made possible without support from East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled financial services to individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank. Bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, and bridging dreams. For more info, visit eastwestbank.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Radio.